0: We thank you for blessing us each and every day. And, Father, we thank you that the word is so. Father, it hasn't changed. It's still the same today as it was the day that you delivered it many thousands of years ago, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We depend upon the Spirit of God to speak, to teach, to instruct, to reveal. And, Father, we thank you for these things. We give you the praise and the honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right, uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll continue there today. So we're talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and I think it's just good to read. There's only a few verses here that, uh, where he talks about it. And so here it says in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Uh, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And so this is the common verse used um, to kind of say that Paul was uh, sick and diseased. Uh, In fact, uh, he mentions over there in um, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, says, if you you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So uh, they take those two scriptures together because he doesn't say specifically in here what his thorn was. uh, And so they take that, that minor reference there in Galatians that says that you would have plucked out your very eyes from on my behalf. He never said he needed eyes. It just said that's what, that's what they said. And, um, you know, it's just like someone saying, you know, I'll give, uh, I'll give an arm and a leg for this thing. Uh, it's really just a, a, a phrase or an idiom that people say because they want to be a blessing to you. Uh, but people have taken those two verses together and said, well, Paul was sick. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, we're kind of going through some of the notes that this one fellow had sent to Brother Bosworth when he was in the area preaching. This fellow had wrote this uh, paper up and then delivered it to all the people who lived in the area where uh, Brother Bosworth had, was preaching the word of God, never did go and talk to Brother Bosworth directly. You know, he just kind of was a weasel and went behind his back and, and uh, uh, put this paper out with the goal and intent of, of persuading people that, uh, that God is not the healer. Uh, and so we've gone through several things that he said, uh, and we'll continue on here, uh, just kind of reviewing, uh, reviewing what this fellow had said. And, you know, we do this uh, really as much as anything to get an, some insight into what people really believe. You know, for me, I believe in healing because really, I mean, that's you can't come to any conclusion in the word of God if you're a student of the word, that God is a healer, in fact, um, You know, it's not just is a general healer, but that it's God's desire and God's will every single time without exception uh, to heal us. Uh, And that's really the only conclusion you can come to if you study the word of God diligently, uh, because you have to uh, let the word of God stand by itself. You can't take the word of God and compare it to observations in the world, because if you do that then you say, well, the Bible, it seems like it wants to heal. But then when you look at the results in the world and the church, so many people are sick then that, that means the Bible can't mean that he wants us to be healed. So really, you're judging the word of God by circumstances and by uh, walking by sight and not by faith. So we don't do that. We let the word of God stand on its own and, and even fall on its own. Um, you know, I have enough confidence in the word of God to know that it's never going to fall on its own. I don't need to validate the word of God by any outside information. Uh, and so, uh, so this, this person decided that Paul was sick uh, and so, uh, like I said, he continues on with this message uh, on behalf of brothers Paul, uh, on behalf of brothers Paulsworth, to kind of uh, persuade people that uh, God is not a healer. And so he says here, he said, it is beyond dispute that Paul was a sick man, a- and his his reasoning is because of that one thing that Paul that uh, Paul had read written in Galatians uh, chapter four that they would have given his very eyes. So that was his. Beyond dispute, you know, when I'm reading the word of God, if I read, you know, one verse about any topic to me, that's not beyond dispute. That means, well, maybe I need more insight here before I make a strong conclusion of what this verse says. Uh, and uh, but in the area of healing, because you've got literally hundreds of verses uh, that, that that say and state emphatically that God is a healer. that God is our healer, that that is beyond dispute because you have enough evidence But uh, in this case, uh, he said it's beyond dispute that Paul was a sick man. So, uh, in fact, we're going to go through other things that Paul, many times in his writings, he would list out uh, things that he was suffering under, different types of persecution. And uh, he never mentioned sickness and disease. You'd think if this was such a big thing that he would mention that he was sick in every list of of, uh, trials that he was going through. Uh, but he says that uh, it's beyond dispute that Paul was a sick man. He says so himself. He never says he was sick. Uh, Paul did not get this disease by infection. How did he get it? Uh, and it's even hard for me to read these words because I can't imagine saying this. But he said that Jesus Christ gave it to him. I can't imagine saying that Jesus gave somebody sickness and disease. But that's what this fellow believed. Uh, but uh, And so that's that's what he said, that Jesus he didn't get it by infection. He didn't get it by walking by somebody else. And, and just because there's sickness in the earth, that's not how he got it. Specifically, he said that Jesus gave it to him. Uh, and, he, and he said, and, he, and people will read this because they get to verse 7 in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. They stop right there. They don't read the rest of the verse where it says the messenger of Satan to buffet me. So apparently God is not able to uh, correct us by his spirit he's not able to correct us by his word he's not able to even correct us by his angels he has to go get the devil to help him out to you know to assign him tasks to do because you know the devil and God are so close and the devil is glad to to, uh, to help out God any way that he can right and we're being facetious of course uh, but if you look at verse 7 closely it says unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation so what was the purpose of the thorn in the flesh according to paul's own writings he said the purpose of the thorn in the flesh was to keep him from being exalted but what does it mean to be exalted It doesn't mean to be worshiped it just means that that people would be aware of paul and paul would be well known and paul would be well respected in the church and paul would be uh, elevated as a minister somebody that you should listen to uh, as he preaches the gospel And that's really what he means here by being exalted, that his ministry would be exalted, uh, that his ability to reach uh, large numbers of people would be increased. uh, And uh, because the Lord had invested a great amount of revelation in Paul's life and desired for that revelation to be spread throughout the world. Uh, And, you know, there could have been other people uh, besides Paul that uh, the Lord could have used. But for whatever reason, you know, why God picks people, certain people over other people, you know, we don't know that, but part of it has to do with I, I, uh, just reading the Word of God that uh, a lot of times it's got to do with how willing you are to yield to the Lord. Uh, and Paul, uh, you know, if you look at Paul's writings, Paul was really very radical in his writings as far as moving away from the Old Testament to the New Covenant that, you know, these old things that have passed away, we, we don't do those things anymore. We don't follow the Word of, uh, we don't follow the Ten Commandments, we follow the New Commandment of love. And we don't do circumcision. We do uh, water baptism. We don't do uh, sacrificing to animals. Uh, the Lord Jesus was their only sacrifice. Uh, and it's even beyond that, though. Paul even goes on to say things like um, where some people had a hard time with food, for example, being offered to idols. And if you go to somebody's house and they say, well, you know, I just murdered this chicken here, you know, and offered it to, to the uh, idol so-and-so. Uh, Is it going to bother you to eat it? And Paul said, well, it's just food. I mean, you know, it it ain't nothing to, you know, idol's not even a real God, so there's no problem eating it. Now, uh, even the Jewish council in Acts chapter 15, when they were uh, talking to some of the new uh, Gentile converts said, you know, and whatever you do, don't uh, eat meat offered to idols. But later on, Paul said, there ain't nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols because idols aren't real gods anyway, so what's the deal? And a lot of people, even today, if you told them, that, you know, you just ate food, you know, in a pagan's house where, where they had just literally offered that food to idols, you know, and they'd be like, oh, you know, you better cast the devil out of that food and you better, you know, uh, uh, thr- say three Hail Marys. And, you know, you don't want to eat that food because, it, you know, it could hurt you because it was offered to an idol. And Paul was like, no, it ain't, it ain't even, a, it ain't a thing, you know. He said, now, if, it, if you're there and the guy next to you is a Christian and it would bother him, eat food offered to idols he said well then that's that's okay not to eat it he said but as far as you're concerned it is not a big deal at all now you know i understand that in the moment you have to decide what you should do because uh, if you're gonna uh, eat that meat that's offered to idols and it would bother your conscience then you shouldn't do it right you should never do anything to violate your conscience because the conscience is the voice of your spirit but if you if you know enough about the lord and about faith then then you would realize well eating meat offered to idols is no big deal so paul was really a radical uh and uh you know if you think about the freedom that the lord desired to bring into the earth and the freedom from all of this religion that the jews had steeped in the thousands of years that they'd held uh they held the word of god and they they were supposed to be caretakers of the covenant of god and yet they twisted it and turned it into just legalism and, and uh, religion uh, Paul was really throwing off the chains of that legalism, the chains of that religion, and was very radical in, it, in his teachings. In fact, Peter talked to, mentioned something about Paul's writings and said, you know, uh, Paul wrote many things, uh, many things were hard to understand. And, you know, I really I read Paul's writings, and I don't really find anything it's all that hard to understand, you know, but if you're coming from a Jewish mindset and you're so used to, you know, uh, Remember when Peter was on uh, in Acts chapter 10 when he was on the rooftop in prayer that day before he went to Cornelius's house, the Lord showed him a vision, right? It had a great sheet uh, and he uh, uh, lowered this great sheet and it was full of all kinds of animals that you're not supposed to eat. And in the vision, the Lord told Peter, uh, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Uh, I've never eaten anything unclean or, or common, common or unclean. Uh, and. and this was Acts chapter 10. They got baptized in the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. So they had the, the fullness of the, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But even with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, uh, with all the revelation that came, because, you know, Peter became a different man, not really after he got born again. Of course, he was a new creature, but it was really until, not until he was baptized in the Holy Ghost that he really became the fullness of the apostle Peter that he was always meant to be. Uh, and he preached a great sermon there in Acts chapter 2. To all the listeners uh, uh, at that point in time, so Peter had great revelation of, about the the plan of God for the Holy Spirit and speaking with other the tongues, and you know, uh, prop, uh, reiterated Joel's prophecy that uh, that uh, that He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Uh, and so uh, he had great revelation about that, uh, and he could have and should have continued right on in that revelation of realizing. You know, the old old covenant has come to an end. It's a brand new covenant. Things are brand new now. But uh, from Acts chapter two to Acts chapter 10, Peter never really advanced in his revelation with the Lord for eight years. That's a long time, right? I mean, it's about a year per chapter in the book of Acts. It's not necessarily exactly that, but it's pretty close. Uh, So for eight years, they didn't advance at all in revelation. Now, that's a long time to kind of just sit still and not learn anything new. Uh, And yet they 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 uh, never really progressed. And so uh, it was Acts chapter nine is when Paul showed up. Uh, He gets, you know, slain in the spirit, uh, gets uh, blinded uh, by the glory of God for a few days. Uh, Ananias comes and lays hands on Paul and uh, immediately Paul goes and starts preaching that Jesus is the Christ immediately uh, and, and started advancing the revelation. Of course, Paul went off. Uh, by himself for many years after that to get some more training and understanding from different folks like Gamaliel and, and different people to learn the revelation of, of the New Testament. And the Lord gave it to him. And so the Lord gave him this revelation. Now, I believe Peter should have had the revelation. You know, James and, and all those other fellows should have had that revelation. But for whatever reason, they didn't get it. Now, Paul was a Jewish person. In fact, he was a Pharisee, right? A Pharisee of the Pharisees. And, um, uh, and so he had this revelation So God needed to uh, get this revelation into the world. And Paul was one of the first people that was willing to allow the Lord to use him in that way. Peter wasn't that they kind of circled the wagons there in Jerusalem, just stuck with the Jewish people, didn't really venture out into into the world, even though if you remember, the Lord prophesied to the to the Jews right there in in the book of Acts, chapter one, he said that uh, 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 "Tarry in Jerusalem until until you're due with the power from on high, uh, and after that point, you shall be a witness unto me in Jerusalem. So the Jews, the Judea. Uh, so, so that's a, the, the, still a Jewish nation. Samaria. So now you're outside the Jewish nation and unto the uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, so he, the Lord covered everything with Peter and all the other apostles there in Acts chapter one. But they never got it for whatever reason. They just never caught on that they were supposed to go everywhere. Uh, But they were supposed to go everywhere and they but they never did they stayed in jerusalem in fact It wasn't until acts chapter 8 verse 1. It says now they were scattered abroad Well, why were they scattered abroad because they would not move and they got out of the will of god They would stayed right. They stayed right there in jerusalem Didn't go out into Samaria, didn't go to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, I mean as soon as paul got uh baptized with the holy ghost got hands laid on. And we can see he started traveling. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to Asia. Let's go to Europe. Let's go to all these different places. And uh, we got to get the word out. Well, that was, you know, uh, it was only the previous chapter in Acts chapter eight when the when the people in Jerusalem decided to move. Right. Uh, and so finally, you know, Philip was one of the evangelists and Philip went to Samaria uh, and preached Christ to him. Uh, but that was a long time. And so uh, you know, they should have been progressing in the revelation. They hadn't really like they should have. And so Paul comes along, is willing to yield to the Lord, is willing to get the revelation of, of the New Testament that the Lord wants to get to the whole world uh, because the Old Testament was just for the Jewish nation, but the New Testament was for the whole world. Uh, and they never they never caught on with that. Uh, and so Paul was given a great amount of, of uh, revelation, abundance of revelation, he says. Uh, and the Lord needed to, wanted to, because the, the Lord says, uh, He told Peter that that uh, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will what exalt you in due season. So it was. It's always the Lord, the Lord's intent to exalt anybody who's willing to stay humble with the Lord. Uh, which sounds kind of, you know, like a contradiction of terms. How can you be exalted and be humble at the same time? Well, that, that's uh, they're not they're not exclusive, right? Because some people think that being humble means that you're unknown and uh, you just you're, you're you're nobody and you think like you're nobody. That's not being humble. Being humble means to stay under. It means to stay under the authority of the Lord and never think that you are worthy to be worshipped. Because some people they get they get they get exalted and suddenly they think they're worthy to be worshipped. Well, I must be somebody. Look at all these folks that, that are coming listen to me preach, uh, and so they get out from under where they're supposed to be, which is the Lord is the only one worthy to be worshipped. None of us will ever be ever be worthy to be worshipped. So Paul said, uh, lest I should be exalted. So the goal of the thorn was to keep Paul under, was to keep Paul from being exalted, was to keep Paul from having the word that the Lord had given to him to be spread throughout the world. Uh, and, well, who's got the most to gain from hindering the advancement of the gospel? Is God got the, I mean, is, is uh, is God the one who desires for the gospel to be constrained? Well, no. And so uh, so the the goal, I mean, it says it right there, the goal of the thorn was to keep Paul from being exalted. Uh, and it says, lest I should be exalted above measure. So if that's the case, because this man says that he received the sickness from Jesus Christ himself, that's what this man said. Of course, it's not true, but uh, that doesn't make any sense because then Jesus is going to be hindering Paul because the purpose of the sickness was to hinder Paul from being exalted, not in a prideful way, but just to keep from his message from being exalted in the earth. Why would Jesus give Paul the revelation but then give him a thorn to hold back the revelation? Doesn't even make any sense, right? That's what crazy people would do. Well, I'm going to give you this thing, but you know, I'm going to, going to make sure you can't use this thing, right? uh and and so of course it doesn't make any sense at all doubt and unbelief never makes any sense to me anyway uh and so uh so that that's so the purpose of the thorn was to was to hinder the advancement of paul's ministry in the earth uh and uh who's got the most to gain from that the devil does does god have anything to gain from what he's invested in you from getting out into the world no the very purpose of him giving you revelation is to go into the world Right? Remember what he said in Jerusalem in Acts 1-8, don't go anywhere until you get the Holy Spirit, uh, until you get that revelation of the Holy Spirit, and you get the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere until you get that, and then go. It was always, it's always the Lord's intent for us to go. Uh, and so, uh, so I can't even imagine saying those words that Jesus Christ gave Paul that sickness and disease. Of course, it was a sickness and disease anyway, because we go through. Uh, eventually we'll go through and find out what this phrase means, thorn in the flesh. Uh, but he continues on and saying, Paul did not want to be sick. He prayed the Lord to heal him from the sickness. He p- prayed not once, not twice, but three times. It says he received no answer to his prayers, which is kind of odd because Paul literally says in verse nine, and he said unto me, uh, after saying in verse eight, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. And, it said, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect to weakness. Isn't that not an answer? I mean, if you're praying for something, the oh, it says these things. Isn't what the Lord says an answer? Well, it is. And so, you know, uh, this person seems like they're an intelligent human being because of the way they write. But uh, on on the other hand, they seem to me like they're dumb as a brick. I mean, you just you read you can't read uh, Second Corinthians chapter twelve. And even come close to the same conclusions that he did just reading them at, 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 a, at a surface level right uh, and so uh, he said that uh, um, in spite of all his praying he got no healing his thrice offered prayer brought him no cure not even the hint of healing and that is not all the lord said to paul a very startling thing he said my grace is sufficient for thee he tells paul it is better for him to be sick than to be well. So when the Lord said my grace is efficient for me. The man took that phrase. And made the giant leap to the Lord. Really saying that I want. What I want for you is to be sick. Because that's better for you. How do you go from saying my grace is efficient. To oh, what you really mean. Is is you, you don't want me to to uh, get better at all. You want me to stay exactly the same way. Uh, and, uh, and somehow that's better for me. Uh, and so. But that just shows you that uh, they don't understand the purpose of the grace of God. The purpose of the grace of God on this earth in your personal life is given to you to allow you to change the course and direction of your life to line up fully with the, with the, with the will of God. Uh, it's not to just let you maintain where you are uh, and hang on for the best. The purpose of the grace of God is if you're dealing with tribulations and trials, the grace of God is there to empower you to get out of those tribulations and trials. Uh, he doesn't just give you his grace to hang on the best you can. Uh, you can do that without the grace of God. And So I don't know how you go from my grace is sufficient to it's better for you to be sick than to be well. Uh, it's He continues on, and, and uh, you know I don't know how much. We've got just a couple more things this man says here. He continues on and says, He tells Paul it is the divine will he shall not be cured. He tells Paul divine power can and will operate in and through him better with ophthalmia and sickness than without it. Now, does that say that anywhere in these verses that God said that, that my power will work better in you while you're sick than when you're, when you're well? Uh, no, I mean, that's what he, that's, he, he's taking the most gladly. Therefore, will I rather glory my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, but again, we'll find out here uh, as we look up uh, this root of this that he's not talking about sickness disease. Uh, but when, when, when do you feel more like yielding to the spirit of God when you're sick or when you're well? Uh, I mean, w- when you're, when you're can't even get out of bed, do you feel like laying hands on anybody when you can't even see? I mean, the, the man says that the, the pus was running out of his eyes and it was just, you know, a horrible sight. Well, you know, and he said that the pain was like a stake being stabbed in your eye. If you're in that much pain. How much ministering do you feel like doing? Uh, you know, I mean, you feel like praying for long hours, reading for long hours. You know, Paul studied. Paul was a student of the word. Paul studied and, and he had parchments. And they would he even talk about uh, with the people that work him. make sure you bring the scrolls. I need to I need to study more. Uh, if you can't see how much studying do you feel like doing? Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's not like today where we've got bright lights and we've got, you know, uh, uh, good paper and good uh, printed materials that we can read easily. These were scrolls that were on, you know, typically leather or parchment of some kind that, you know, th- th- it was difficult to read them to begin with, with good eyesight. And then if you got bad eyesight from, from apparently what this man says that Paul has, that, um, uh, that that's somehow better. So, of course, he, he, he's, he's, he's not making a great, uh, a great case for his belief but basically what he's doing is bullying us that, you know, you're just so wrong uh, and that uh, th- this is really what it says. So uh, but common sense would tell you that, you know, God can work better in a well body than a sick body. Uh, I mean, even if you were sick uh, and you could minister some, could you minister as well when you're sick as when you're not sick? Well, no, you, there's no way, you know. Uh, and how many people that are, that are bedridden are out preaching the gospel. Well, nobody, when they're out bed when they're bedridden, are out preaching the gospel. Uh, and so he, he continues on and says, uh, hear what Paul has to say in response to the Lord concerning his infirmity and the will of the Lord that he shall not be cured of it. These are his words. Most gladly will I therefore, uh, will I rather glory in my infirmity than the pow- that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here is Paul saying just this. So this is his translation of what Paul said. I will glory in my ophthalmia. Uh, my eyes may be full of repulsive discharges. I may be the object of pity. No matter I will glory in it, I will rejoice in my sickness. Uh, and, and that's a big stretch, you know, uh, from, from uh, I will glory in my infirmities. Uh, now, now, you know, you got to, if the power of Christ, and that word power there is the supernatural miracle worker, power of God. If the power of Christ is resting upon you, how does that not automatically drive out the sickness and disease? I mean, if the remember back in Luke chapter 5, where it says the power of God was present to heal him, and the first one who had the faith in that power got healed, right? Now, the other people didn't have faith in the power, so uh, you can have all the power in the world, and if you don't have faith in it, it's not going to do any good. But if you show a spark of faith in that power, then healing is, is the result. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She, she went and touched Jesus, and he said... Somebody touched me for virtue or power, that same power there that we're talking about here in 2 Corinthians, that same power left Jesus and effected a healing and cure in her physical body. That's the result of, of what happens when the power of God comes in contact with sickness and disease. The sickness and disease leaves, it doesn't stay, it doesn't get worse. It always diminishes and always leaves. Uh, and so Paul said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if the power of Christ is resting upon him, then there would be sickness and disease. The power of God would come upon him. Then there would no longer be sickness and disease. Now, that's the way it's always worked in the New Testament. A, in fact, that's the way it worked in the Old Testament. When the power of God was in manifestation, sickness and disease left. There, you never see a case where, the, where somebody was a, in a certain condition physically, and the power of God came, and they got worse. There's never a case like that. It was always whatever condition they were, good, bad, or indifferent, the power of God came, and they were better if they yielded to it. You know, and Paul uh, had to yield to it because he said it came upon him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it just it shows an amazing lack of any understanding of really anything. Uh, it, it's really just an, an intellectual person who, for whatever reason, believes that God desires for his people to be sick and is making a very strong Uh, stated case to that end but his logic is is flawed in every statement that he makes Uh, and so uh, he said that uh, um, uh, the the last statement that he makes is in the quivering flesh and painful suffering of his apostle the lord has written his divine protest against this unspeakable doctrine this brutal brutal and we read this i think last week this brutal transmutation of the cross of Christ into the center of physical healing. So he called uh, the doctrine of healing uh, an unspeakable doctrine. Uh, he said that it's a transmutation of the cross of Christ. And, you know, if you've got $64 words, I guess you ought to use them as much as you can, right? Uh, and so, uh, but none of it's true, right? Of course, none of, it, none of it's true at all. Uh, but he said the Lord is writing his protest. So the Lord is protesting those who believe in divine healing uh, and so so let, let's uh so when paul said uh, the thorn in the flesh now this this phrase thorn in the flesh has become part of even our um uh vocabulary right but if you think about that thorn in the flesh um that that's what you call an idiom it's a phrase which doesn't doesn't actually mean a physical thorn, right? Because even this fella here that doesn't know anything, never said that it was an actual thorn that he was walking by a a bush and he tripped and fell in this bush and a thorn came off the bush and stabbed him in the side. That's what it really was. He said it was actually in his eyes. And so when uh, uh, when Paul said it's a thorn in the flesh, this fellow saying, well, what he really means, it's a sickness in his eyes. Uh, but uh, the, the simplest thing in the world is to well let's you know let's go look up the, the phrase thorn in the flesh let's see if the bible has anything else to say about that and because and, that's really the best way to study the word of god if you find a phrase that you're not familiar with go and see if that phrase is used anywhere else in the bible and then you'll get a some context of what that thing means and so and that's really how you should study the word of god you you go look up and that's and for me that, that's oftentimes how i study i go see a word well and i uh, you know, it's used in that particular verse, but I don't get the full context of that meaning in that verse. So let me go look it up in other verses to see how another writer or the same writer used it in other cases to see if I can get a better understanding of what it means. Because that's really one of the best ways to study the word of God. Uh, and so let's turn uh, to back to the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Numbers, chapter 33. Now, was Paul a Jewish pe- a person? You, did he study the Old Testament? Did he know anything about the Old Testament? Well, sure, he did, because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. All they did was study the Old Testament growing up. So he was very familiar with the Old Testament phrases. And so here in the book of uh, Numbers, uh, in verse 33, so, you know, they're, they're in the wilderness at this point in time, right? They're supposed to be heading to the promised land, but, of course, they, they kept messing up. The Lord finally said, well, then you're all going to die off. Uh, And another generation will have to go into the promised land. But he's still giving them instructions about what they should do when they arrive in the promised land. Uh, And so he says here in verse uh, 55 of uh, Numbers chapter 33. He said, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them, shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. So that's the, uh, when Paul said, thorn in my flesh, and the Lord said, thorn in your sides. Well, where did Paul get that phrase from? He got it from right here, right? He got it from here, and we'll look at some other, uh, other examples. So when, they're gonna, when these people are going to be thorns in the sides of the nation of Israel, uh, is he talking about sickness and disease? No, he's talking about people, right? That these people are going to be an annoyance to you. They're going to bother you. Why? Because you didn't drive them out. You're supposed to go in the promised land, drive them out. If you don't drive them out, they're going to be a, uh, he said, pricks in your eyes. So uh, are they literally going to be uh, taking a thorn or a prick and, and prick them in their eyes physically? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an idiom or it's a phrase which means they're going to be annoying you. You ever had people annoy you? Uh, well, if they're annoying you, then they're a thorn in your side. That's what, what and, and, and this is not a small thing because, um, you know, it's not like, well, you know, they take them forever to go through the red light. That's not a thorn in your side, right? That's, that's a minor inconvenience, right? Thorn in your side, sides where these people who are against God and they're going to do everything they can to destroy the nation of Israel. That's a thorn in your side. And so it's a big thing, right? It's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Uh, and so this phrase, it's a figure of speech, right? It's not a physical, they're not actually being transformed from people to be transformed into a thorn and, and poke you in the side. That's not, it's not, it doesn't mean it's a, its its a, an actual physical thing. It's a a figure of speech, right? Which means people will be annoying you. Uh, well, there in in the book of Numbers, turn over a couple of books there to the book of Judges, uh, to Judges chapter 2. And, you know, I remember uh, years ago I was studying this uh, and um, I did exactly what I'm, what we're doing right here. I looked up these phrases uh, to find out where, where they are. So you got uh, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then Judges, chapter 2. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a pretty good revelation. Nobody else has ever come up with this revelation ever before me. And, of course, Brother Bosworth had written this whole book 100 years ago, right? Uh, and so there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, but here he says, uh, in, number, in Judges chapter 2, so in Judges chapter 2, uh, uh, let's, let's read in verse 1. It says, an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to, to, Bo, to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So the angel is is preaching to the people here. And the angel has said, you didn't do what I told you to do. Why not? He said, wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Uh, And so he said that. Uh, why are there going to be thorns in their sides? Because they didn't drive them out, which is really what the book of Numbers prophesied, right? They prophesied the Lord uh, through Moses, prophesied to the people of Israel, if you don't drive them out, they're going to be thorns in your side. Now you fast forward all the way through the book of Numbers, to the book of Deuteronomy, to the book of Joshua. Now you're in the book of Judges. They didn't accomplish what they were supposed to do. They did do some of it in the book of Joshua, but they didn't conquer all of the land like they should have. And so now the angel appears to him and says, because you've not done this, these people that if you have left in the promised land shall be thorns in your side. Well, that sounds exactly what Numbers said. And that sounds exactly what Paul said. So what's the source of the thorns in their side? It's people, right? People that are going to be annoying you uh, to bring you harm in in, uh, in your life. Uh, and so we're there in um, uh, chapter 2, same book. Let's turn over to chapter 23. Actually, I'm sorry. It was, Let's go back to Joshua, chapter 23. And, you know, I've always wondered why, you know, like for Joshua, I always wondered why they never did fulfill the, the work that the, the Joshua knew what he was supposed to do, but they never did get it done. And then even at, at the end of Joshua, they never did. Uh, Joshua never did assign a, a successor uh, to his position as a leader of Israel. And I never, never understood what Mo- Moses did. Uh, in fact, Moses did by the direction of the Lord. Uh, and so, but here they are, you know, again, uh, talking about what's going on here. And he says in verse 13, uh, Know for certain, certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from, from before you. So uh, he was talking about that uh, in verse 12, Else if you do in any ways go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations. Uh, Even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in in unto them and they to you know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations before you. So uh, Joshua's telling them, look, you you don't need to join up with the inhabitants of the promised land. They're supposed to be gone. We're supposed to get rid of them. He said, if you don't do that, then the Lord's not going to remove them out of uh, out of your midst. He said, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. So, uh, scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes. Well, that's the same kind of phrase, right? Same, it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar to uh, the the uh, phrase, the figure of speech that Paul used uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, so, who, who are, uh, the, the, uh, the way that Joshua said it, who are the scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes? Is that sickness and disease? No, what is it? It's people. So the book of Numbers was talking about people. The book of Judges was talking about people. The, the, uh, uh, the book of Joshua was talking about people. Um, and so uh, so are you starting to get a hint, right? So when Paul used the phrase thorn in your side, where did he get that from? He got it from the Old Testament that he studied, that he knew well. And, and this was a big thing, right? And they all knew, all the nation of Israel knew that they had failed to do what the Lord had said. The, the history of the, the, uh, the nation of Israel was that they should have removed all the, the people out of the, the uh, promised land. They chose for whatever reason not to do that fully like they should have. And the Lord prophesied uh, three different times here that they will be thorns in your sides. Uh, and, and in every case, he was always talking about thorns in your sides was going to be people. He never said, uh, even in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, it talks about all the, uh, all the sickness and diseases. He never said that these sickness and diseases shall be thorns in your side. He never used that phrase when, when it, when it uh, was dealing with uh, sickness and disease. So every single time the Lord uses the phrase "thorn in your sides, he's always talking about people. Every single time. Are there any exceptions? No exceptions. So if every time you read that phrase and it was always talking about the same thing and then Paul uses that phrase in the New Testament or any Jewish writer would have used that phrase in the New Testament, what would they, what would they have been talking about? They would have been talking about people, right? It's, it's the only conclusion that you would come to. They wouldn't use, suddenly use that. Uh, and change the meaning of that phrase because then people wouldn't know what they were talking about. So always um, they were, uh, the thorn in your sides were always people. So now we can go back to Second Corinthians chapter 12. So if, if Paul, did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? He did. Uh, what was the source of the thorn in the flesh? Was it sickness and disease or was it something else? It was something else. It was always people, right? Because he continues on, uh, now let's go back to verse 7 of Second Corinthians chapter 12, it said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, what's those next words? The what? The messenger of Satan, right? So uh, uh, a messenger then is not sickness and disease, a messenger specifically uh, of Satan, would have, the, the word messenger there is the same word used for angels. Uh, But there are demonic angels, too, right? They're the angels on the bad side. Uh, And so, in fact, the Lord even mentions, uh, talking about the devil and his angels in the book of Matthew, uses that same phrase there. Uh, And any time that you look up that word messenger uh, in the context, uh, in the New Testament, I think it's used nearly 200 times in the New Testament, uh, it's always talking about uh, a, a specific personality, right? Uh, if it's the devil and his angels, or the devil and his messengers, then those are personalities, right? They're not human beings, but they are—they are, they are uh, a personality of some kind, uh, an, an intelligent being of some time of some kind that has a goal and has a message, right, for you. Even if it's a negative message, in this case, it's a negative message. But uh, a- everywhere that the, that the Bible uses that that phrase, uh, messenger it's always talking about a a specific personality, right? Sometimes messages were used of people, but most of the time they were used uh, about specifically angels or angelic beings, either angels from God or angels from the devil. Whether it's an angel from God or an angel from the devil, it's still, is it sickness? It's not sickness, it's an angel, right? It's some kind of messenger from uh, from the spirit realm. Uh, And so, uh, which fits well with, um, with what we read in the Old Testament, that the thorns in the flesh um, were always uh, people, right? Uh, in fact, uh, let's turn over to, to Luke chapter 4. And, and, you know, to me, if you do a good study on this, on this topic and you put the whole counsel of God together, there's only one conclusion that you come to. Uh, there's, there's not, well, this is sickness and disease because that doesn't make any sense, right? So it was a messenger of Satan was the thorn in the flesh. So how does that work out? Well, uh, we know in Luke chapter 4, we're not going to read the whole thing, but uh, in the first part of Luke chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, remember Jesus went into the wilderness, right? Uh, and uh, in fact, it says there in uh, verse 1, that in Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days, he did eat nothing And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So he was in the the wilderness for 40 days. So he was tempted all 40 days, right? Because it wasn't just the the end of it. uh, It was during the whole 40 days that he was being tempted uh, of the devil. Uh, But who came to Jesus at this time here after uh, after the 40 days? Who physically came to Jesus? It was literally Satan, right? Satan came to him, spoke to him. They had their, their conversation about doing things. And Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And never did yield to anything that the devil said. Uh, and so that was was so was the devil a messenger. He was a messenger, right? He came with a message to the Lord Jesus, to try to get Jesus to sin. Uh, and so. But then we get down to verse 13, it says, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him. Uh, who did he depart from? He departed from Jesus, right? He departed from him for a season or for a while so uh, we're in luke chapter four is there ever a case again from the rest of the the ministry of jesus where we read that the devil specifically came to jesus as the devil Said, i'm the devil i want you to do this i'm the devil i want you to do that was there ever another case where the devil specifically came to jesus in his ministry no and yet it says he left him for a season so but who did jesus have to deal with all throughout his ministry he had to deal with people, right? And what, what were the people that were always against Jesus? It's always the Pharisees, right? The Sadducees, the Herodians, right? All the different different uh, idioms, right? Uh, uh, and so you got all the different people, the, all the religious people were always against Jesus, right? The high priest was against Jesus. You know, the regular people, they weren't really against Jesus. It was It was really the religious people. But, but uh, what did Jesus say of these people in John chapter 8, verse 44? He said, ye are, ye are of your father, the devil. So he said that these people that were bothering him, that their father was the devil. So even though the devil didn't appear to Jesus directly, uh, who did the devil uh, motivate to bother Jesus? People, right? He would motivate people to go and try to attack Jesus, try to stone Jesus, try to trip Jesus up in different things that he said and did. Uh, all these people were being motivated by the devil. Uh, and so, uh, so even though the devil left him for a season, he came back, but he came back by uh, getting people that would yield to him and try to attack Jesus. Uh, and, you know, in your life, more than likely, you're never going to have to face the devil directly. But does that mean that you never have to deal with any influence from the devil in your life at all? No, there's always going to be people that will yield to the devil. And, you know, the the sad part is, uh, will there ever be Christians that yield to the devil? Sure there are. You know, Christians can yield to the devil just like uh, uh, unsaved people can uh, yield to the devil. Uh, in fact, the worst t- things that you deal with is a Christian yielding to the devil because then it's all messed up, right? And Christians that yield to the devil are just really mean. Uh, and so... It doesn't mean all Christians yield to the devil, of course, in that. But, uh, but uh, in all of these cases, for the whole ministry of Jesus, he had to deal with messengers of Satan sent to him to buffet him. Uh, and they, they were from the devil. And so, you know, although Jesus never used that phrase, he could have used that phrase that all these Pharisees are a thorn in my side. All these Sadducees are, are a thorn in my side. All these Herodians are a thorn in my side. Because they came to buffet me. They came to attack me. They came to, to uh, hinder the ministry that the Lord has given to me. Lest I be exalted. Did Jesus have, uh, did Jesus have uh, revelation like Paul? Well, I mean, he, he probably had a little bit more. You reckon just a little bit more than Paul? No, he had a lot more than Paul, right? Uh, and so what was the goal of the devil sending these messengers to Jesus? Was to hinder him, to keep him from being exalted from people uh, coming flocking to Jesus and hearing the, about the ministry of Jesus. You remember what they said one time? They said, well, we've got to do something about this movement because uh, if we don't, the Romans are going to come and take away our position. Uh, and so they were really concerned about uh, losing their position. Uh, and so let's go back then to Second uh, Corinthians. We'll look at a couple of different translations of this verse. So uh, the message of Satan was anybody that's, being, that's yielding to uh, the devil could have been done now it could have been the devil himself right uh, we, we don't ever read where uh, in Paul's writings where the devil appeared to him specifically although you know one time he did say that the, that the Satan hindered him but he never said that he appeared to him specifically that doesn't mean it didn't happen but we don't have any record of it either way uh, but we do read many times where the Jews were stirred up against Paul right uh, and they would try to stone him. or sometimes they would stone him. One time they did stone him, left him for dead. Um, and so, uh, but in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, I want to read verse 7 in, in a different translation. Uh, it says, And judging by the stupendous grandeur of the revelations, therefore, lest I should be over-elated, there has been sent to me like the agony of impalement satan's angel dealing blow after blow lest i should be over elated Uh, satan's angel dealing blow after blow that's really uh, these people that were constantly against paul right Uh, was there ever a time i mean i don't know there was ever a time really in paul's ministry where the jews uh, weren't trying to to uh, bring harm to his life another translation says uh, wherefore lest i should be Unduly lifted up, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, that he might buffet me, lest I should be unduly lifted up. Uh, So uh, the the goal of the thorn in the flesh was to buffet him, again, to to suppress his ministry. And that's going to be done with people. It's always done with people. It's not done with sickness and disease. Uh, And so, in fact, uh, Weymouth's translation of verse 8, says, as for this, three times have I besought the Lord to rid me of him. Uh, because he had talked about uh, that he might he might buffet or that. Uh, and and, uh, and that he would rid me of him. So uh, in those cases, when uh, even in the King James, it's still the same Greek language, uh, but they're both specific masculine pronouns, so it's not a generic it. It's a specific masculine pronoun. So um, in all of these cases, uh, Paul is talking about uh, a specific personality, right? A, uh, uh, it could have been a demonic spirit, but more than likely, he was always referring to all the primarily Jewish people. Sometimes it would be Gentiles as well. But for the most part, he was, he was persecuted by the Jews. Uh, and uh, it was constant, right? Was it, did it ever stop? No, and there are times when Paul talked about some specific person who is only there uh, to annoy him. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, there's a lot of cases, but uh, we'll turn back to the book of Acts uh, chapter 16 here. We'll just look at one specific case. So here in, in um, uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 16, it says, Uh, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. So did, did she yield to the devil? Sure, she was possessed, right? Met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. This she did many days. Well, why didn't Paul do anything about it? Well, number one, to cast the devil out, you don't just cast the devil out. You, you only do it by the will of God because, number one, you don't know if this person wants the, the devil cast out of him. Uh, and so uh, we can go into a whole lot of details about casting out devils and that. Sense. But if Paul doesn't have an unction to do anything about it, then does he have the power to do it? He doesn't have the power to do it unless the Lord gives him the unction to do it. Uh, and so, so what did Paul have to do for several days? He had to put up with it, right? Uh, was she a thorn in his side? Well, sure, because she, she, everybody knew she was possessed of the devil. Uh, and, uh, and she's you know, testifying about Paul. Well, who wants the devil testifying on your behalf? You know, nobody wants the devil to testify on your behalf. So uh, Paul was grieved. Well, did he sound grieved in Second in Corinthians chapter 12? Sure he did, right? He said, you know, I prayed to the Lord three times to, uh, to get rid of this thing. Uh, And so. uh, So it says here that uh, but Paul being grieved after many days. Right. So not the first time she did it, not the second time she did it, not the first day, not the second day. But after many days, finally, Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. So this is just one example of many examples where there was a thorn in Paul's side who was a person. Right. A person yielded to the devil was a thorn in Paul's side. Uh, In this case, Paul had the authority to do something about it. Uh, But in a lot of the cases where the Jews would attack him, uh, there there was nothing that he he could do about it. In fact, uh, we're there in in chapter 16. um, uh, Turn over to chapter 14 there. uh, And... um, uh, let's read in verse eight. It says, And there was a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stamp, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Uh, and uh, I think we were in, in um, uh, Cleveland not long ago, and in, in, um, uh, Pastor Hagen was there. And he brought out a point that, you know, I mean, I've read this story so many times, but he brought out a great point. He said, he said, it was not only a miracle that the man got healed, but remember what it says, that that he was crippled from his mother's womb. And what? Had never what? Walked. So the man had never walked, right? And and so if he'd never walked, you know, if you take a baby, uh, that's a newborn baby, and you put tennis shoes on, say, let's go for a walk. What's baby going to do? He's going to sit there like a blob, right? Because that's what they do. They sit there like a blob. Why? Because they don't know how to walk. You tell me, you take a baby, you know, you put tennis shoes on all day long, they're not going to know how to walk. So had this man ever walked? Never walked. And and so he got healed. He stood upright. He leaped. And he what? Walked. Well, that's a miracle just in itself, the fact that he was able to walk, having never walked before. You know, the reason why you're able to walk is because uh, you know, you ought to think about walking sometimes. Sometimes I think about walking and you think about, all. you know, you take one step and your body, your brain is it's constantly telling you, OK, your weight is here. You need to shift your weight this way, shift your weight that way so you don't fall over. Right. Because, you know, uh, if you're just standing here and you lift up a foot, if you don't shift your weight automatically, you know, if you just you just fall right over because your weight is, is on both feet. If you lift up one foot and don't shift your weight, you would just fall over because uh, that's how. Physics works, right? But because you've done this for so long, you don't even think about it. You take a step, you don't think about all the different things that your brain is getting calculating to be able to walk correctly that all your weight needs to shift to this foot, then it needs to shift uh, automatically to the other foot, shift automatically to the next foot, back and forth as you're walking. And that's why it takes so long for children to learn how to walk, because there's a lot of things your brain has to do to get two feet to, to walk successfully and balance itself. This man did it immediately. Uh, and so, you know, somehow the Lord trained his brain to know exactly what to do in an instant. Uh, and, and I thought that was a really good point that he made there. Uh, and so it says, and when the people saw Paul, uh, saw what Paul had done, so the, these were the Gentiles, right? These were not the Jews here. These were the Gentiles that are living uh, in, in Lystra here. It said, they, when they saw what they'd done, they lifted up their voices saying, in the speech of uh, Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifices with the people. So why are the people doing this? because they' don't, they're, they're they're happy, right? They're glad that this man that everybody knew because he's been he's been uh, crippled since his mother's womb, so everybody knew about him uh, and uh, and so suddenly, He's standing upright on his feet and walking. And so they know that it's a great miracle. And, they're they, you know, of course, they don't know any better. They're dumb. They're, they're uneducated Gentiles. They just assume, well, it's a God, right? They said, there's God's walking among us. So if it's a God, we should offer sacrifices. That's what we do, right? We murder mammals and we offer sacrifices to this God. And so they did that because they were glad for what Paul and Barnabas had done on behalf of this man at Lystra. Uh, and so in verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of they rent their clothes and ran among the people crying out and saying sirs why do you do these things because they didn't want to be treated like gods do you want to be treated like a god you know you're not a god you don't want to be treated like a god Uh, and you sure don't want sacrifices made on your behalf and saying sir sirs why do you do this thing we also are men of like passion so they're saying we're just like you we're just regular people of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filled, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people. So they were barely able to get the people from not making sacrifices because they were so glad that Paul and Barnabas had showed up uh, and Paul was able to, to convince them, hey, don't do this, sacri- there's no need for the sacrifices, it says that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So so I always think this is an amazing story right here, right? They went from being really unknown to a miracle happened. Now, everybody loves them. Everybody wanting to even make sacrifices for them on their behalf Paul constrains them, but they're still glad that it came. And it says in verse 19, And they came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Icodium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So, I mean, that's how quick things can change, right? I mean, one second before that, they're wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas and offer sacrifices. And the next second, they're stoning them. Why? Because of people, what people said. What they said. We don't know what they said, but... I'm sure they're like, they're all lying. It's not really a miracle. This man, you know, was going to get up and walk anyway. Uh, I'm sure it was something to that effect, right? Uh, and so, uh, but did Paul resist being stoned? No, did Paul rebuke them in the name of Jesus and say, stop stoning me? No. Uh, and so there are plenty of times, just like in this case, where Paul didn't do anything. He didn't have the unction to, to use the name of Jesus against his attackers here and and got stoned. In fact, uh as far as we know he's dead right that uh, supposing he'd been dead because that's what happens when you stone people they die and and so it says in verse 20 "Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him he rose up wouldn't you have loved to have been there what do you think they're doing standing around him they're mourning him right paul was such a great guy right i mean he's only been with us now for a few chapters in the book of acts and, and he was doing such a good job and now he's gone you know and, and i'm sure they were crying i'm sure there's tears and paul you know, woke up said hey Let's go, boys, right? And so what did he do? He said he rose up, came into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So, uh, so, number one, if you're dealing with people, your fortunes can change just like that, right? You don't ever put your faith in people because people will change just, I mean, just uh, literally one second they want to offer sacrifices to the gods of Barnabas and Paul. And the second after that, they want to stone him and kill him because of people, right? Because the Jews came and, and uh, they, they persuaded the people. Now, I don't know how you get a better persuasion than raising somebody up who's not walked since their mother's womb. Uh, what could they have done better than that? I don't know. But uh, somehow these Jews, uh, because they were evil, had evil intent, uh, were able to persuade the people against Paul to the point that they wanted to stone Paul. Uh, you know, uh, who knows what it was? And I, I hope we get more details when we get to heaven you know, Lord, uh, fill me in. How do they go from worshiping Paul to stoning Paul? Because you would think that all these people, if the Jews came and attacked Paul, that all these people that loved Paul because of the man at Lystra would have stood by Paul and said, hey, you leave him alone. He's our friend, right? We, just, we were about to offer sacrifices, him. that's how much we love him. But, um, uh, you know, you're one to hurt him. You're not going to hurt him. You're going to have to go through me. Nobody stood at Paul's defense. They let Paul just suffer and die right there in front of them. Uh, and so, so, were these Jews a thorn in Paul's side? Uh, he, they were. Did they bring sickness to Paul? No, they stoned him, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it was a terrible thing that they did. So, uh, and we could go story after story about how all of these cases, that people were a thorn in Paul's side everywhere he went. Even when he had a great message, at, like at Lystra there, they still turned around and stoned him five seconds after that. One second, everything is good. Next second, you know, he gets hit upside the head with a stone. Uh, and so uh, so we'll look at, uh, uh, because we really need to look at it and, and get a good, uh, solid uh, foundation of whenever Paul talks about the things that he suffered, that he ever talk about sickness and disease? And he never does, right? He talks about the persecutions and what they did to him, uh, but he never talked about, and my life is so hard because I'm sick all the time. You know, he doesn't say that. Uh, And so he does talk about infirmities uh, one time. But the thing about the word infirmities, infirmities uh, is also used in the context of of weaknesses. Like, you know, uh, you have a weakness for chocolate chip cookies. So that's an infirmity, right? So the word infirmity is not a good word to use as a basis for thinking somebody is sick with a physical illness. It could be somebody is limited in their ability to stand against sin. Uh, uh, and so, uh, or stand in the, in the presence of persecution, right? Because how many times uh, does a church get persecuted and the people being persecuted uh, can't take it anymore? Uh, and they, they yield to whatever the persecutors are trying to get them to do uh, because they are, in, they are weak in that sense, right? Not saying that to disparage them, but uh, how many people you reckon that were martyrs over the years, you know, when people said, if you don't, if you don't recant Jesus that we're going to kill you, uh, and they start torturing them. And in the middle of the torture, they, they recant Jesus. Well, they don't really recant Jesus. You know, uh, it wasn't in their heart to do it. They did it to relieve the pain. Uh, and so Jesus isn't going to hold them against it. But in that moment, you know, they were weak in that moment, right? That's not to say that, you know, we wouldn't be weak too in, in that moment. Uh, so we've got to be careful about using the word infirmity as the, as the King James translates it. Uh, to define uh, everything as being sickness and disease. Uh, and so let's pray and we'll thank the Lord for the word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you that uh, nothing has changed, that, that, uh, that if there are thorns in the side of people uh, in your word, Father, that there's still thorns in our side today. And that every single time, Father, uh, that there's thorns in our side, it's always people, Father, annoying us and people trying to persecute us and people trying to bring harm to our lives. You know, Father, you've always used that phrase in dealing with the context of people uh, trying to bring harm to us. And so, Father, we thank you that your grace is there that's always sufficient to allow us to withstand uh, that uh, that thorn in their our, in our sides, Father, and to do whatever that you instruct us to do. And so, Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for revelation, insight, wisdom, and we give you the praise and the honor for the Lord in Jesus' name, amen. And, you know, the we're, in Second Corinthians... Chapter 12, where it says Paul had prayed three times for the Lord to remove that. You know, you ever wanted the Lord to remove somebody who's annoying you out of your life? Not, you know, you don't wish ill will towards them. You don't wish them harm. But Lord, uh, can, can they just move on somewhere else? But, you know, uh, I, I have observed that there are many times that the Lord has you to go in and, and have uh, contact with somebody who is a thorn in your side. Because he loves that person, doesn't he? And you may be the only one who's willing to talk to them. You may be the only one willing to put up with what they're doing against you. Uh, and so the grace of God is there to allow you to put up with there being a, them being a thorn in your side because God loves them. He desires to help them. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you've got to be careful in asking the Lord to remove that thorn from your side because uh, the Lord may want you there. Not to, he doesn't want you there to suffer he wants you there for them. He wants you there to help them. Uh, and, you know, in this case, we don't know what the context of it was because uh, the Lord doesn't say that, but, but he does say that my grace is sufficient for you. So he never said that I'm going to remove that thorn if there are people that are annoying you. You know, Jesus said this, you're going to have persecution in this life, right? Yeah. And sometimes the persecution is there because God want you, wants you to be in that person's life to help them, even though they're a thorn in your side, He still wants you there to help them because He loves them. It's not about you suffering. It's about you helping them. And you may have to suffer in order to put up with them long enough to help them. And you may never help them. They may never decide to be helped. They may never decide, but they they deserve a shot. From the Lord's perspective, they deserve a shot because He loves them. Uh, And that's really, uh, in any time of persecution... You know, you've got to find out, Lord, do you want me to, to leave this persecution or you want me to have to put up with this persecution? You've got to find out what God wants, wants you to do. He'll never say, well, I want you to suffer, so stick around. That's, he'll never say that. But he will say, I need you to suffer in order to help them. That's why it's called long-suffering, right? That, that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's called long-suffering because sometimes there is suffering in you dealing with people. Uh, and that's really the case. Whoever this person was, the Lord decided, you know, Paul, they, they need a shot. And you need to help them. And, and yet they were a thorn in Paul's side. And, but the Lord still, still said because he loves them, he wants Paul to continue working with them. And he said, my grace is there to help you in the midst of that persecution. Uh, and that's where you've got to get to where, even if you're being persecuted, if it's the will of God for you to be there, to stay there, it's there for their benefit, right? It's never there for, your, for you, right? The suffering is not for you to learn or to grow or to be more spiritual, the suffering that you put up with is because you have to suffer sometimes to try to help people. Uh, and, and that's really what this, what this situation is in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, and, and so we'll look at, we'll get some more details about that as we go along. Uh, and so, but it, was it sickness and disease? Never. Was that phrase thrown in the side ever used in the context of sickness and disease? Never used in the context of that. So if Paul used that phrase, he picked it up from the Old Testament, which is always used in dealing with people. And, uh, and how many times did Paul have to deal with, with unkind people? Lots of times, right? Uh, and so, did Paul ever get tired of dealing with it? He did. That's why he prayed to the Lord three times, right? Uh, and the Lord's like, in fact, what did the Lord prophesy to, to Paul? I know we can't keep on preaching again, but uh, remember what he said? I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer. And, and why did he say that? Because he was going to have to deal with people, right? If you never have to deal with people, not much suffering you have to do in this life. Amen. Uh, but then nobody gets saved either because you're never going to preach the gospel to anybody. So uh, we, there's just things you're going to have to suffer with sometimes in this life to help people. If you're going to help people, you will suffer. Uh, and and that's, just, that's the unfortunate part of dealing with people. But uh, do we have the grace necessary to deal with it? We do, right? Uh, and so that's the key right there, right? We have the grace, then it's just a thing. We don't have to, we don't have to like it. We don't have to enjoy it. We don't have to look forward to it. But we have the grace to deal with it, uh, and that's really the, the result that we need to get from Paul's discussion here. Not that, oh God, it's making me sick. So to learn something, it's just dumb. I mean, it's not even good. Not even. It's not even an intelligent uh, uh, result of reading Second Corinthians chapter twelve. No intelligent person could come to that conclusion. But people have done it all throughout history, haven't they? Uh, uh, yeah, Thorn in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, could you show me one example that he did that, please, in all the Bible, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's a shame, right? Because would, would you do that to your child? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's no sickness in heaven, right? But um, uh, I mean, is he not the greatest loving uh, entity in the whole universe? And, and as as limited as mothers are to their children, would any mother ever put sickness on their child to uh, and and as much as I mean mother you know people say there's nothing like the love of a mother that's not even close to true because the love of God is way more powerful than the love of a mother for her child, and yet as great as we would think that the love of a mother is for a child and the mother would never harm their child to teach them anything, and yet we we ascribe that to God every day uh, and it's it's you know, it, it really bothers me because I think you, you've never met him. If you could say those words, you know, I wonder if you've ever met him. Now, I'm not anybody's judge, of course, but uh, uh, have you ever met the Lord? If you've ever met him at all in your heart, you would know he would never harm a, a flea, a gnat, anything uh, at all, especially his own children, his very own children. He would never harm us in 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 the slightest way. And, and yet people say, casually say that, like, it's just true. Like, God put this sickness on me to... For his glory. Uh, and yet, there, the thing is, is why are you being rebellious here at the hospital? I mean, you know, you need to suffer at home because you don't need to try and get out of this. You're being rebellious. Uh, stick with the sickness and disease until it runs its course, right? I mean, that's if you're really going to be spiritual, don't try and get out of it. Now you're just being rebellious, you know. Uh, and how is that getting God, God glory if you're rebellious, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. not even halfway better, you know, not better, but just, you know, uh, healed, but you can't walk, right? That's not a whole. That's that's halfway there. Right. Uh, so anyway, the Lord is good. Amen. Uh, and so I, I like this. I think uh, Brother Bosworth does a great job of going through this discussion here. Uh, and um, uh, and at the end of it, you know, uh, if you ever hear anybody say, well, this is just God put this thorn on my side. Right. To, to because i've got so much revelation it's like you know if you really had revelation you would have never say that to begin with right and so you are actually telling off on yourself that you don't really actually have revelation but anyway that's another whole discussion right so be blessed don't forget the Lord's your healer amen and um oh are we going to receive an offering there yeah let's receive an offering amen uh and um uh, chris will be back with us soon uh and um we'll just pick up right where we left off right uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And um, you know, even though she's got COVID, God's still a healer. Amen. Uh, he's He's in a healing business. But she'll not have any lasting effects from it. You know, some people they, they lose their sense of taste or lose their sense of smell, uh, and um, you'd yeah, be really sad, right? Then then all food tastes the same. Right? All everything is gruel after that. Uh, and so. Um, but no, she'll make a full recovery. Amen. And she's well on her way to recovery now. So all is well. Amen. Uh, and so uh, be blessed and we'll see you next Sunday.